feel just like a kid again today, Joe. Well, with those plastic roller skates, you sure look like a kid again. Aren't they nice? Oh, I love the noise they make. It's a... <laughs> yeah, keep doing that. Back in the days when roller skating meant if there was a, a pebble that was microscopic in your way, you would break your nose. Yeah, or being able to clean something with Coca-Cola. Those days are long past. Wait, you can't clean anything with Coca-Cola anymore? Well, uh, Pepsi really frowns on that nowadays. Yeah, that's probably you true. You know, in, in, in the cola cleaning race, Coke won, and Pepsi just never fully recovered. Can you clean anything with beer? Uh, your liver. Ooh, let's do that. <laughs> you can clean it of healthy bacteria. <laughs> that sounds good. Let's do that. Yeah, let's do it. Welcome to Digital Noise, everyone. I'm here with Joe. Hello. And we've got a bunch of titles to review for you this week. But first off, let me just say thank you so much for uh, listening to oneofus.net and Digital Noise. There's, If you really like all the stuff we do on our site, we, we've got even more stuff we think you'd love if you become a subscriber. There's four different tiers you can, in fact, subscribe to, uh, all with geeky names, of course, <laughs> <laughs> and multiple shows on there that are exclusive to subscribers, including a movie and entertainment news show. A show called The Original Gentleman that's one of our most popular shows with three old guys grumbling about pop culture. (laughs) Uh, And lots of other bonuses, including now coming uh, like bi-weekly commentaries on movies, all sorts of good stuff. Become a subscriber. You're not just getting that stuff. You're, you're helping keep the site going all together. Also, as you can see, if you look on the actual page, uh, we have our uh, affiliate of audible.com, which has tons and tons, like hundreds of thousands of audio books and audio dramas and magazines and all sorts of stuff. If you go and click on our link and become a subscriber through us, uh, your first off, your first thing you get for them is totally free, and we get a nice little kickback from you actually joining and starting an account with them. So we really appreciate it. I can't tell you how much that sort of thing helps. Also, don't forget, there's also pictures, or there will be shortly, of all the Amazon of all the titles that we're covering this week, with links to Amazon. If you buy those. Uh, titles through those Amazon links. We get a kickback from that as well. Uh, or, in fact, anything you buy through those links. So let's say you need a new washing machine and you want to order it through Amazon. Click on one of our links first and then surf from there on Amazon what to if, a washing machine and buy it and we get a kickback. What if I were to buy some, say, new roller skate laces? I don't know if they sell those anymore. I think it's all Velcro straps. You sure it wasn't a part of Amazon Prime? <laughs> no, what, Amazon Prime poop? Yeah, Prime Day or whatever, yeah, the Prime like, Directive. Hey, I need to go shopping at a flea market. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bit of a disappointment. Well, hey, at least it didn't have the stink of a flea market. It, well, it depends on where you were surfing, I suppose. Yeah, I guess. I myself was surfing in a dumpster out back so, <laughs> uh, to get the real feel experience. Yeah. Amazon Prime VR. Yeah, and, and at least like have a, a monkey paw somewhere in your house when you're ordering. <laughs> right? Well, enough of that nonsense. It's time to get on to the part that's why you came here in the first place that we call The Reviews. And we're going to start off and do some television here. First off is season three of a British series that went from a little shaky on its feet to a lot more assured called Ripper Street. Uh, it is, you know what the weird thing about the season is, it ends on a sort of, well, that's it. End of the show. 
Like, <laughs> hard not to say it's the end of the show. Everybody gets <laughs> stories are nicely tied up and pat. One of the characters goes off and retires happily with their family. And you're like, oh, well, you know, British shows don't last long. Well, I just read they approved it for seasons four and five. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me right now? <laughs> well, we're kind of infecting them with, with uh, dollar signs. They're like, oh, holy shit, these Americans will buy it. Let's do it. Well, despite what the title says, this actually isn't about Jack the Ripper. This is a post Jack the Ripper. This is the streets of Whitechapel and the police in London's East End who are dealing with, you know, the the shittiest you know, job and on the police force dealing with the most amount of murder and rape and nastiness in the days after the unsolved Ripper murders. So the street, the title is really kind of oxymoron since the Ripper never in any way figures actively in the series, except for maybe the main character having a bit of guilt here and there that he never actually solved the murders. Mm, Whitechapel guilt is the worst. It's the worst, right? (laughs) Well, perhaps if they named it the street on which one may rip. Uh, was just a little too too wordy. That's true. Uh, season three starts with the three main characters. Uh, Inspector Reed, who is uh, kind of has a big stick up his ass, but is very good at his job. Is, is it that or is he British? Uh, can it be both? <laughs> <laughs> He's got a British stick up his ass. Uh, played by Matthew McFadden. Uh, Sergeant Bennett Drake, played by Jerome Flynn, who is also the... I, I, for, I always forget the name of the, his character on Game of Thrones. Uh, he, oh, he plays Braun in Game of Thrones, so you recognize him from how great he is on that show. He's also great here as sort of a very rough-edged guy who is slowly getting to be a pretty damn good cop instead of just a thug. Yeah. Uh, and then you have uh, the third part of the, the triptych, which is the American... Uh, 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 what the hell is his name? Uh, Homer? Is that his name? Yeah. Uh, Captain Homer Jackson, played by Adam Rothberg, who is, you know, he was a member of the... Uh, what's the name of the... the the American detective agency, the Pinkertons, oh. <laughs> left over not the best of circumstances. Ooh, but, Pinkertons got a bad rap. But this is, yeah, right? <laughs> this is the beginning of the forensic science era, and he's the one guy who understands forensic science. So he's kind of their input part into like, oh, well, I can actually do science and figure out stuff that other police are like, what are you doing? <laughs> Get off the ground, you weirdo. Fingerprints? What good are those? <laughs> uh, uh, this starts off with a major train cat uh, crash killing a whole bunch of people and in fact one of the characters on here who has a has a in the past relationship with with Homer uh Susan is actually responsible in a way that it wasn't supposed to be as bad as it was they were trying to steal bearer bonds and had something to do with all that anyway it's kind of a complicated thing that to overarch the season to give it where like the main characters don't trust her anymore ultimately and they shouldn't she's like has become evil without acknowledging that she's evil (laughs) which is the best kind really but you know other than that it's really a episode by episode uh you know here's this week's murder (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> much like the rest of the show has been and it is entertaining as such did you get to watch this uh i watched some of it uh i, I could there's a lot of stuff going on so i didn't really get to watch as much as i wanted but i don't know it just didn't have the same verve to it that it has in the past so it was just kind of like am i watching it because i liked stuff in the past or am i just watching it 
uh, because it's it was something good in the past. Pretty British accent. Yeah, pretty much. There's an odd story here. They introduce Reed, Inspector Reed's, uh, his daughter, Matilda, who is reported repeatedly as having long since been drowned. But now, for sake of trying to have another overarching plot <laughs> element, they're like, no, she didn't drown. And in fact, uh, she's alive and kind of crazy and wandering around the streets of London. Well, hey, if, if you almost drowned and suffered brain damage, it makes perfect sense. It does. Sure, they could happen. It happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I still think this is a good show, and I thought three would have made a nice little conclusion and tie up a little bow to tie up the show, but apparently money disagrees. Yeah, well, maybe they'll do a crossover with the IT crowd. What do you think? That's a thing that could happen. I, I don't you see find why out not. that the IT crowd are actually descendants of these people, and then they have to solve a bunch of murders in Whitechapel or, or time travel or time I mean, travel, whichever works. That would work too. Uh, next up is Powers, the you, not the British television series called Powers, which is a different thing, but the U.S. television series called Powers. And this is an adaptation of the comic book uh, written by Brian Michael Bendis. It was really kind of his big break in the industry when he first started writing it, I believe, for Icon, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. Icon Comics, which is a, uh, a subprint of Marvel, which is a wonderful book. It's still going on when he manages to get an issue out. <laughs> I mean, the guy writes like 18 comic books, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to fit it in where you can. And this is indeed a loose adaptation of it. Um, I think that perhaps there's something to be said about it being harder to enjoy if you've really read and loved the comic books because of how different it is mm-hmm. and how different even both in tone and in plot. I mean, the original book starts, I mean, the first book's called Who Killed Retro Girl? And this character named Retro Girl, we never even see alive. She's dead at the beginning of it. It's about solving her murder. Oh, okay. Here, Retro Girl's one of the main characters. Well, <laughs> so it's like, okay, I guess Retro Girl's not dead. Well, we just need to, we need to take a moment so that we can appreciate Retro Girl, because <laughs> uh, Ensign Roe Laren really uh, informed my uh, appreciation of women. Well, I, I really think, actually, she's one of the best things on the show. Mm-hmm. I really, oh, yeah. Michelle Forbes plays her as, well, let me We'll get back to that. Let me. The basic premise here, and this is by the way the first show that was uh, streaming on the PlayStation Network for exclusively yeah. for those members. But now you can watch it because it's out on Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, the idea is is that superheroes have been around for a while, uh, like a while, decades yeah. and decades, to the point where they're they're kind of old hat. Yeah, they kind of are. And uh, now this former guy who used to be one of the most powerful of them all, sort of almost a Superman-type character who was called Diamond, uh, lost his powers in a fight with a supervillain. And dun, dun, dun. Became, like some years back and has become a homicide detective because he still wants to keep being, you know, doing what he did before helping people, but do it in a different context. And he specifically works in the powers division, the part of the police force nobody else wants to work for <laughs> that deals with like crimes related to super powered people. Uh, he, after his partner is killed in the first episode, he's assigned a new partner, Dina Pilgrim, who is a little spitfire. Yeah. <laughs> who yeah. puts up with no shit. <laughs> who has to prove daddy wrong. Yeah, boy, she's got daddy issues if ever <laughs> anybody did. Uh, and Shalto Copley from uh, District 13 plays Christian Walker in a way that really surprised me in that you've never really seen him give a performance like this before. It's a very different, kind of almost hyper-noirish at points. Yeah. But, but still, like, so Shalto Copley is the rough-edged, like, embittered old cop on the force. Yeah. The mayor's on my ass, and I haven't shaved in two to five days. I'm not sure. <laughs> are you allowed to do that on the police force? I don't think you are. Uh, I guess if you're if you're a former superhero, you get a little bit of latitude. True. 
Uh, Susan Hayward plays Dina Pilgrim, who I wasn't really that I wasn't that familiar with. Uh, she does a good job in it, but the problem is, like, even in the comic book, she's written as being this character who is kind of bitchy. Yeah, she's she's got too much poop in her butt. Like, always got poop in her butt. And sometimes she has a point, and were things worth bringing up, but, like, she's literally coming in cold to this scenario, and starts screaming at, at Charlton Copley's character any chance she gets about, how come you don't tell me absolutely everything about your past and backstory and, <laughs> and intimate relationships with other people? Yeah, like, why are we not why, besties? Why the fuck do you think? <laughs> <laughs> because we gotta, we gotta save something for day two. Uh... There's a series of uh, of crimes going on involving a drug that makes people's that only works on superhumans and it seriously enhances their powers. Except the problem is it enhances it too much and they die horribly a lot taking it. As well as some regular people, because if a regular person takes it, they just die. Yeah, flat out. Well, and and like uh, most of the the users aren't really the the, the super powered. Uh, metahumans, they're just uh, like one guy, he can just kind of float a little bit. <laughs> yeah, there's everything from like incredibly powerful, like Michelle Forbes' retro girl, who is you know, I mean, she's basically Wonder Woman uh, you know, she's really powerful and maybe the most powerful superhero at this point, and she used to have a relationship with Christian Walker. I mean, they were almost partners and definitely lovers in the past. And yeah, they kinda, may have done kissing. We kind of see in this season them going from like being completely estranged to becoming close again, which it, which is cool, which is one of the best relationships in the whole show. But you also have the sort of the third part of their triptych of friends when they grew up. Uh, Johnny Royale, played by Noah Taylor, who has gone from someone who, who has a teleportation power, who's gone from somebody who used to be heroic to somebody who's straight up a, a mobster, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't even say he's evil, though. Yeah. I, I'd just say that he's Papa finally decided to get some for himself. Right. That's pretty much what it is. And, 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 and most of what he got was ridiculous hair. That's true. <laughs> There's a lot of ridiculous hair on this show. Uh, but I really like his performance quite a bit on here. And, you know, as it turns out early on, he's the one manufacturing and sending out this drug. And he forms a weird sort of paternal relationship with a, a young girl uh, named Callista. It was weird in the book. She's a really young girl. She's like six. Here she's supposed to be like 15, even though she's 30. I looked it up. Oh, really? The actress who plays her, Lessa Rula. And I was like, okay, if you think she's hot, no worries. Wait, so did they make her uh, make out with like an actual teenager? I have no idea. He was probably like 32. It's a long <laughs> oh, tradition. So it's, it's, in, it's the in, 90210. In, yeah, long tradition in entertainment of teenagers being paid, played by 30-year-olds. <laughs> Uh, uh, and she's obsessed with being a, a power. She's like, no, I know I'm a power. They just haven't manifested yet. And for some reason, he feels sorry for her, takes her under his wing. But she's also the witness to a murder. So the whole time, uh, Christian Walker and Dina Pilgrim are, ch- are trying to catch her. On the outskirts of all this is really, I think, kind of the high point of this whole thing, which is Eddie Izzard as Wolf, who was originally their mentor. And then it turned out that he's been alive for a long, 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 long time. Yeah, totally not Logan. has to eat people to stay alive. <laughs> like, he just eats, he eats people like a wolf turned up to 11. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the uh, with the uh, like army of darkness, blood fountains. Yeah, yeah. We're not talking about Hannibal, like <laughs> like this this table set out with delicately sliced 
leg meat. Yeah, he's he's not going to shine the silverware before he eats somebody. No, he eats people in like thirty seconds and they're done. And apparently, he he's in like the deepest darkest prison because he ate like five hundred people or something, uh, and also was the one who stole uh, the powers of Diamond. And he, of course, ties deeply into the plot. And the second half of the show, we get to see a lot more of him. And I gotta say, overall, I, despite some serious flaws, I thought Dina Pilgrim's character being one of those big flaws. Because mm-hmm. she uh, should not be really irritating, and she just comes across <laughs> as really irritating. And despite some special effects, like, uh, that just kind of looks a little corny. Yeah, but yeah. despite all that, I'm really enjoying this show. Uh, one of the things that I really love is Eddie Izzard's portrayal. Uh, because it's the hammiest I've seen since he was Grandpa Munster. Oh yeah, he's totally <laughs> playing it to the hill. You know, to some extent here, most of the characters are. I think the person who's playing it the most down is Michelle Forbes. Yeah, who's definitely the most serious character. Uh, I mean, to some extent, despite the affectations Copley's putting on as Christian Walker, he's still playing it very serious. He is very down, kind of like. Like when there's dramatic stuff to do, he's not screaming at the universe and and pumping his fist. He's actually trying to give a real performance. Yeah, uh, but what, one thing that uh, uh, really struck me was when somebody made the correlation in, of like he he was diamond and he used to fly and now he can't and his last name's Walker and it's like oh god damn it! <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even occur to me. Uh, I, it's an interesting take the show has that the comic book doesn't do quite as much, which is that this is really about fame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the, that's the uh, this whole thing is about the people who want fame so desperately that they would do anything to get it. The people who have fame and it just messes them up like crazy, and they become really bad people. And yeah. people who used to have fame and don't have it anymore and are very mixed feelings uh, uh, about that. <laughs> yeah, sometimes a little like, oh man, I wish I got into the clubs and a little bit of a, I really don't need all that attention. Uh, and I think that some of the most interesting stuff the show does as subtext is in there. Like, I mean, it, it maybe they go too much into it at points, but even if you take all that out of it, it's just a fun, fast-paced show to watch. Well, I mean, I think that's why they have all that subtext stuff, is because special effects are expensive. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and they got time to burn, so might as well. I mean, there's obviously a certain amount of that. You're, there's not a lot of big... Tra- I mean, we're not watching a Marvel film. This is No. Like, you're not seeing a lot of huge fights, generally speaking. But, no, not too much. Yeah, uh, they are they are there. Most of them come in the last third, uh, which is basically about, oh shit, Wolf got loose. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I did like when, when he was complaining, they hurt me. It was like, because you eat people. Yeah. <laughs> Guess what? You had it coming. And that's so gruesome when you find out, like, he's so powerful, the only way to keep him in this prison at the darkest, deepest level, chained to the floor, is by giving him, like, daily lobotomies. Yeah. (laughs) But he heals so fast, they have to do it every day. They have to give him a lobotomy. And you're like, that's kind of fucked up. (laughs) That's, uh, you know what? Just kill me. Yeah, just do that. Just throw me in an incinerator. Rather than, rather than deal with that, I'll I'll just die. There's some extra features on here, uh, looking at uh, policing the all-powerful, envisioning and filming powers, which looks at sort of the themes uh, behind there, the temptations of using power for ulterior motives, yada, yada, yada. There's a bunch of deleted scenes. Uh, there's a thing, a feature about the uh, art and adaptation of powers in the comic book to the TV show. There's some uh, funny outtakes. 
Uh, yeah, it's it's a decent set. It's nothing exceptional for the extra. Yeah, features, no, but. but I mean, getting to see Michelle Forbes fart in the retro girl out costume was pretty. It's awesome. kind of adorable. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm all for that. Okay, well that takes us through TV for this week, and let's just go into one of the titles I know you're anxious to talk about, which is Maggie, the latest Arnold Schwarzenegger giant action film. You're my daughter, and I love you a lot. But th- actually, I found him really super new. Not okay for Arnold, super nuanced. This is Maggie, by the way. And yes, there's the most notable thing about Maggie is that Arnold Schwarzenegger gives the best performance of his life, which isn't to say it's this phenomenal, groundbreaking performance, mind you. But for him, it's like, hey, way to go, buddy. The bar is really low for Arnold Schwarzenegger (laughs) on dramatic performances. We kind of expect a certain type of thing from Arnold, and he does that one thing. Yeah. You know. And I don't know if it quite well is the way to say it, but in a way we like. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And this is him playing a a totally non-action movie role, a very serious movie. Despite being a zombie film, it might as well just be a film about, like, a father dealing with a daughter who's dying of... Like super cancer or something. Yeah, Yeah. a fatal disease. Uh, Because ultimately that's... You know, it's a few zombie makeup scenes away from from being plot wise a lifetime movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe maybe it, uh, they should have done that instead of the the Will Ferrell. Uh, right. <laughs> the, the, the not without my child or something. Yeah. Whatever it was. I don't know. It was yeah, there there weren't any uh, any zingers or memorable one liners in it. No. Uh, which no. obviously they, for the tone they were going for. They shouldn't. Which isn't to say that Arnold Schwarzenegger doesn't kill some zombies. Oh no, he owns serious shit in this. Yeah, but he owns he he kills a few zombies. He's not like going out as a big zombie killer. No, no. And when when it happens, it's dealt with in a very somber. God, I hated that I had to do that sort of tone. Yeah. You know, uh, this is a world where zombie the zombie apocalypse is starting, albeit very slowly, and it's a long gestation, like six weeks, six to twelve weeks. Once you get bitten to become a zombie. Right, and they don't quite know what the orin- origination point is, so yeah. they're just kind of like, I don't know, let's burn all our food crops. Yeah, well, uh, they, yeah, they think something's connected with the, the crops, they're not even really sure, uh, you know, everything has this constant feeling of, like, the road, sort of. Yeah. Like, this is, like, the show, this is what happens in the road zero. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, everything is gray, because the skies are so filled with smoke from all the burning crops perpetually. Uh, everybody is depressed and dour all the time as Abigail Breslin plays Maggie Vogel, who is the daughter of Ronald Schwarzenegger, who went in the living in the city, got bit. And he basically having a lot of friends, some friends on the police force, what have you, calls in some favors so that rather than having her have to stay in the hospital in isolation, he gets to bring her home with the promise that when she reaches a certain stage, he will ca- either call for them to come pick her up or he'll do what needs to be done. Right. Uh, and there's a lot of, like, very sad father-daughter trying reconnecting sequences with that sort of, like, I just want to spend more time with her and get to know her better before I don't have any more of a shot. And of a sort of existential angst from Abigail Breslin. <laughs> Naturally, I think anyone would feel that way in the context. But as she knows, this is inevitable. Even seeing other people she knows, a guy who was sort of her boyfriend at one point, yeah, they was farther were along than her. Yeah. You know? Uh, and I think that this is a... For what it is, it's a very well done film. Yeah, uh, there was there was some fat that they could have cut, like uh, going into the story about her birth mother 
Like, I really don't think that was necessary. Yeah. Like, they, they, they were doing just fine as it was. You know, all that being said, though, it's almost... It, I thought it was almost too simple. There's, like, not a lot really happens in this movie. It's... When I said, like, you know, Lifetime movie, that's being... I'm being petulant about Lifetime <laughs> movies. But, like, there's... I just told you the entire plot. Uh, there's There's nothing else going on there but those things. And... For some, this is going to be way too slow moving. It's going to be very, just, you know, relentlessly depressing. <laughs> <laughs> With no hope um, on the horizon, I promise you. And at the end, I was like, this felt more like an experiment to me. A really well done experiment, but an experiment to see if Arnold Schwarzenegger could pull off a dramatic role than anything else. And, and I would say, uh, maybe. <laughs> I'd say the jury's still out on that. Uh, I, I think he did very well for himself in this, but uh, and the he, the effects are good too. Yeah, yeah. But like uh, the transformation of Maggie is very gradual and disturbing to watch it come along. And there's some nice little suspense moments at the very end where, you're yeah. like, has she turned? Is she about to turn and kill her family, or is she just at that point where, like they say, you know when it's time to bring them away when they start thinking they smell meat everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that meat is their family members. Yeah, not really like, that's funny. Why does everything smell like meat? Um, because I'm tasty? And Arnold Schwarzenegger probably would be pretty tasty. Well, uh, I don't think he did too much coke in the 80s. Yeah, I, too many, too many steroids, but I don't know how that affects the meat, so... <laughs> I haven't actually tried a steroid person, so okay, well, or any person, but I'm just, I, you know, I'm, I'm spitballing a bit here, admittedly, but <laughs> well, we still like to use the phrase "long pig" right to, to eating people. So, <laughs> Ooh, tastes like sweet pork. Uh, so, what did you think of this overall? I got the feeling that oh, I liked it. I really liked it. Uh, I think the zombie genre needs to go away for a decade or two, and I think a movie like this is a good send off. Uh, because it wasn't flashy razzmatazz, and it wasn't necessarily scary. It was more of a, uh, well, kind of like the the, the Superman-y, Batman-y of like, no, no, there's there's actual people attached to everybody who who dies or turns, you right? Know? So, yeah, it was not. Uh, I'm, you know, others have come up with with the idea of exploring this, but you know, this this one actually got made, so it was it was nice to see. Fair enough. Uh, this comes with a director commentary for from first-time director Hobson, who made this. Uh, a Making Maggie standard EPK. There's some interviews with the cast and crew that actually, some are pretty long. Like, the Arnold Schwarzenegger's is 20 minutes long, as he's like, I really wanted to do a movie like this. I always wanted to do a zombie movie, and I always wanted to do serious drama, and now I can do both. I had to show Maria that if she doesn't take me back, our children will turn into zombies. <laughs> and then there's one deleted scene. But overall, I think it's one of those things that, like, I just I don't think this is what you'd call like a great movie, but it's a good movie and certainly one that if you grew up watching Schwarzenegger, you know you want to see it. Well, and I'd I'd watch it again. Like if somebody hadn't seen it and they wanted to, I'd I'd be along for the ride. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, next up is seventy one, oh. a British historical action film. Now, mind you, this is an action film. That's key. This is along the lines of Taken or any other given thing you can think of. I mean, it is a pretty brutal little action yeah, film. Yeah, I wouldn't even call it an action film. I would call it an attempted snuff film. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a, it's a thriller, no question. But it's a period piece one, which is 
rare these days, it right. seems. Uh, starring Jack O'Connell playing a British soldier who gets separated from his unit in 1971 uh, dur- during a riot in Belfast, which, if you know anything about what was going on there in the 70s... It, <laughs> it was, was not happy good times. It was not good. It was like being in the middle of Afghanistan now. <laughs> Did not want to be there. Except everybody had funny accents. <laughs> That's true. Their, their accents were adorable. Uh you know, the city is split in two. The Brits are supporting one half of it, but even that half is like willing to do whatever it takes to win, even fucking over the Brits if it means it looks like the other side did it. Yep. So nobody is clear who, you know, you're, there's no idea who to trust. And, and Jack O'Connell's character, uh, Gary Hook, finds himself wounded and trying to get through this, you know, endless maze of a city and find his way back home. With the only help that he's finding from people, you know, a family that aust- that live in the most IRA dense part of the city, <laughs> a complex. So he's told early on in the film, "Don't go there." Yeah, yeah. No, basically, what happens is he he gets dumped off in shit central and has <laughs> has to uh, you know ride the the crazy train out. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it is not a pleasant ride. Yeah, and there's lots of uh, stops in fuck you station. <laughs> Uh, and unfortunately, there's no rope to pull to make the train come to a complete halt. No, nope, no. Nope. And this movie doesn't really come to a halt at any point. It starts moving pretty fast, pretty early on. And a movie that starts feeling like, it, oh, it's going to be a period piece drama about this period. No, it is straight, definitely a period piece balls, kind of balls to the wall action. Yeah. Uh, yeah I don't really react uh, physically to movies anymore. Like, I don't get scared at a scary movie or stuff like that. But this one, I was really like... I'm very interested in my heart's going a little bit faster than normal. Well, part of the reason, I think, is because of how well shot this is. Oh, yeah. Is. It yeah. is a gorgeous-looking movie. Uh, director, this is a name, Yann Demange. Demange. I wish that was my name. Uh, he directed the TV series Top Dead Set, if you ever got a chance to see mm-hmm. that, which is uh, that, that one that Charlie Brooker wrote, yeah. which <laughs> is so good. His zombie apocalypse during Big Brother. Well, just Charlie Brooker in general, amazing. Everything he does. Yeah, so good. So this is definitely up to snuff when it, you know, oh, yeah. in terms to like oh, yeah. uh, to that. I, I I'm really surprised that this new release of this, the official American release, is only on DVD. Yeah, that was weird. I there thought. is a Blu-ray import, but I'm like, of all the other shit you guys put out on Blu-ray, <laughs> you're not going to put this movie that had like widely like. A, popular reviews. I mean, like, 97% on Rotten Tomatoes was a hit at multiple festivals. You're you're just going to shit it out on the side? I mean, this is yeah. something that people would actually, Americans especially, would watch this and love the shit out of this. Yeah, they, they, they may not uh, appreciate the, the, the political things that are going on, uh, but... But it's not hard to understand. It's, no, it's, but, but there's, the you know, the, the nuance b- between Protestant and Catholic, and, and, and like you said, how the Protestants were, were more than willing to, to kill a few of, of, of the British soldiers just so that they could uh, be seen in a more, like, we gotta help them light. Right. Yeah, just... And the way it's just so, not even they seem to be clear on who's on what side. Yeah. You know, I mean, these are friends and neighbors and family members who are turned against each other. You know, it, it was a startling time that's still not resolved. No, no, it's, it's less <laughs> just explody. Not less ex- explody. But yeah, there's just shit blowing up all over the place. There's daily riots. It's 
And it's just a very smart action film that doesn't lose any of the action part for sake of the smartness. And what I gotta say is with the violence, uh, I really like movies where you, you see the violence and you're genuinely disgusted that human beings can do this sort of thing. Yeah. And that's, this is and that's, that's that exactly this what it is. Yeah. Even some of the characters you see going like, looking like, like in shock that people they know just did that act, even though they were on the same side. Right. You know, very, yes. Uh, <laughs> next up is the pact Two. Oh, got to packed it in. Uh, and boy, I, did they try. Have, have you seen the original? I hadn't seen the original. Okay. The original is a super low budget movie that is surprisingly entertaining for what it is. I mean, it takes like a ghost movie premise mm-hmm. with Katie Lotz, who's known recently, became famous recently for playing the first Black Canary on Green Arrow, and now ah, okay. she's going to be White Canary on the new Legends of Whoa. Tomorrow show. Uh, and fuchsia she, Canary. <laughs> future Canary. Uh, not Fuchsia Canary. No, there's no Fuchsia Canary. Well, there is now. It's Indigo Canary. No, no, just remember, I, I got a direct line to Hollywood. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Uh she plays a woman who is living, who is taking care of her mother's affairs after she died, even though her mother was a horrible person. Apparently, they had no relationship left at all. Mm-hmm. And weird shit starts happening in the house, and both her sister and her cousin, who are in the house, disappear. They just disappear, like in the middle of the night. Like they're just gone. And she's like, what the fuck? And it becomes clear, very, like, no mistaking it, like, to the point where she's trying to leave the house and something is throwing her in the air up and down on the ceiling and floor. <laughs> yeah, this place is haunted. Hey, but that could be fun. Uh, uh, but that, like, something either doesn't want her in the house, is trying to do something. Well, as it goes along, it becomes clear this thing is actually, the supernatural element is actually trying to protect her uh, from... A hider in the house. Goddamn hiders. Yeah, which ties back to an old, like, you know, an unsolved serial killer murders and how that connects to, like, her mother and why her mother was such a horrible, evil person. Well, anyway, that movie resolves that story (laughs) in no uncertain terms. (laughs) The Pack 2 starts with another character, uh, June, played by Camilla Luddington, who is a crime scene cleaner. There's a job for you. Woohoo! Uh, they were all the rage in the 90s. Right? Who keeps having visions of the killer from the first movie, the Judas Killer, played by Mark Steger. Uh, and she doesn't want to tell anyone because it's pretty disturbing to, to keep having these dreams. But shit, she cre- cleans crime scenes. Yeah, people would be like, no, I get it. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> uh, she tries to hide it from her boyfriend, who's a cop, uh, D- Daniel. But when new murders start happening that are that are mimicking the exact modus operandi of the Judas killer, uh, a new FBI agent comes into town who's sort of a specialist uh, at, at uh, played by pa- the always creepy Patrick Fischler, uh, who was sort of a specialist before in the Judas case, still upset that some teenage girl yeah. killed him and I, he didn't. I remember when he showed up, I was like, oh, hey, it's him. Uh, yeah, right? <laughs> oh, I know that guy. <laughs> uh, and... We see very early on that, however, through whatever means, they're trying to turn the Judas Killer into now an undead boogity-boo. Yeah, he's Slender Man's or something. Yeah, and the biggest problem is that there's nothing distinctive about him. He looks exactly like he did before. They didn't even give him any ghost makeup. No. Oh, God. Like, at first, when you first see him, they have the bullet hole in his head, like how he was killed. And you're like, okay, well, that's kind of creepy. And then they just forget to do it later. Like, it's like, okay, we're just not going to show that part anymore. It's like, guys, what the fuck? Oh, that reminds me, not not to beat up on Maggie, but at one point, uh, something is missing, and then uh, at other parts in the movie, it's back. 
Well, well, her finger? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they also had some continuity errors with her eyes because she's supposed to have like milky eyes. And yeah. the scenes were like in one shot, or she's got milky eyes, and the next shot she doesn't. Okay. Whatever. Well, but. At first, it, it was like, oh, wait, is she one of those re- regenerative zombies? And they're like, <laughs> oh, wait, no, never mind. No. Anyway, back to this yeah, piece of crap. <laughs> and this is a piece of crap. The first one is good for what it is. It's It was a surprise that it was as entertaining as it was, despite still not being what I would call a great horror film. No one would call this a great horror. Film. I, I kept, I, I, I was watching it alone, and I kept, I was amazed when I realized what I was doing. I kept going, "Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up." Yeah. Just shut, just Stop talking. Stop <laughs> talking. I, just, I didn't want to hear anymore. Well, it's even more irritating when they like she, she, you know, tries to find the original girl, Katie Lott. So I'm like, okay, well, of course she didn't come back for this piece of shit. But no, she did. Uh, <laughs> uh, she eventually shows up close to the the beginning of the third act, and you're like, why are you here? You don't. Aren't you making re- regular money? Like, you don't need to be in this crap anymore. Well, and, I mean, IFC. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, IFC Midnight does a lot of good stuff. This just isn't one of them. Oh wait, no, I was I was thinking of. Uh uh, chiller. Sorry. Yes, anything from the Chiller Network is almost immediately worth disregarding. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, maybe sorry. I've seen it'll be good. But yeah, the pack two is just—it's a big unfun mess. And it seems so long, even though it's only ninety-six minutes, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, next up is Survivor, and not the the one that Richard Hatch won. No, we're talking about a film called Survivor. By James Mateague, you know, an action director who's known for... What he did. Uh, what he did. Well, he has, was the assistant director for a long time on stuff like the Matrix trilogy. and oh, okay. Uh, the Star Wars prequels, and his debut was for V for Vendetta. Oh, But then he right. went and did Ninja Assassin and the Raven, so... <laughs> oops. A great start. Don't know what happened. Well, Survivor is better than those second two films. Yeah, it is. Not as good as V for Vendetta. No, clearly not. Uh, the story here follows Kate Abbott, played by Mila Jovovich, the, the female action star du jour of direct-to-DVD movies. Hey, 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 she was an ultraviolet, so just settle down. Uh, ultraviolet. Yeah, oh, yeah, God, I forgot She's about She's vampire I think. You thought that was a good movie? No, I'm just saying yeah. that it, it at least made it to the theaters. I, I like the Resident Evil movies, for what it's worth. They're oh, well, garbage, yeah. but they're likable, fun garbage. So, yeah, uh, no, they were. But she plays a, uh, a best-of-the-best uh, employee for the American Embassy, who basically joined the government after a lot of her friends died in 9-11, uh, and she's kind of one of those like like nobody really likes her because she's like guys you're being way too lazy about approving visas for the United States and when she starts you know asking questions about this one guy who wants to come in suddenly it's clear that there are people who don't like the way this is going including yeah. her supervisor played by Robert Forrester who's sort of stepping around her to make sure that visa credentials get approved and then even more clearly when someone blows up the restaurant she and her friends are sitting at and then immediately afterward an assassin shows up chasing her through the streets trying to kill her also making it look like maybe she's the one who blew up the restaurant right right which uh, usually is the indication of a bad day yes uh, especially when it's Pierce Brosnan who's the assassin who's chasing you because, you know, history will show 
he usually wins. <laughs> we, we, we got double O's to prove it. Right. Which, uh, for him, I thought it was kind of cute in that it was like, oh, what if James Bond just decided to go like four loco and, and, and just use his, his skills for evils? And it's kind of what this was like for me. Yeah, kind of, because he was like, you know, you're like, okay, this guy is the ultimate assassin. You don't. He never loses. Right. You know, he's, he's so good at what he does, but he's also getting old. which they don't make a part of the plot really no you know you can't miss it (laughs) no no you definitely can't uh and you know mila jovovich's character although not regularly involved in this sort of activity is trained for it and knows what to do and is pleasantly competent yeah, and she wasn't like, uh, you know, her and Jessica Alba in the late 90s, uh, I had a problem with, uh, uh, they're the super kicky assist, uh, but they couldn't even throw a punch without breaking their wrist if it actually connected sort right. of thing. Well, Milojovic has done so much of this now, she's pretty good yeah. at being kick-ass on the No, she is. But there there was there was a, a, an exchange between her and Pierce Brosnan that, that I just loved because... Uh, you know, he he's had the 007 stuff, so he can make that stuff look real, and she can make the stuff look real. But in their fight, he just, like, smacks her in the face really hard. And I loved it because it looked so awful. <laughs> like, 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 the angles were wrong in how they did it, so you could definitely see that there was that wasn't happening right but then the rest of the rest of the fight goes back into like oh that's cool yeah most of it was pretty good there's maybe an editing issue here and there with the combat sequences but yeah it's not like you know can you imagine you actually punched her she'd be like you hit me i'm a woman (laughs) at some point that would have been 30 million dollars of damage (laughs) i'm just quoting batman returns but (laughs) remember that he's like that, that's still the best scene in that movie. At the great punches there, just like I'm a woman. He's like, I'm, I'm so sorry. And then she beats the crap out of him. <laughs> I'll, I'll always hold that deep in my heart or testicles. Anyway, uh, yeah, somewhere. I think the worst thing about this movie is really that yeah, it's a bit of a suspension of disbelief that her entire agency would so completely throw her under the bus. Oh yeah, so oh quickly. yeah, like based on almost no evidence. Well, it's like Tina Turner. You need to stop and think for a second. Yeah, I <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just. That really had a hard time buying into the plot. And if it wasn't for that, I would have said, this is a pretty good little action film. Because it moves quickly, it's got good performances, it's got like Angela Bassett in it, and James Darcy, and Dylan McDermott, you know. It's, would they have their own oracle? Their own oracle? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah they have their, like the old British lady who's kind of like her access, like the one person in the agency who still trusts Jovovich, who she can call to get help from. Yeah. You know, uh... I mean, this, it's not a bad movie. It just has a kind of a, a poorly executed premise. Yeah, it's, it, it wasn't swinging for the fences. No, it really wasn't. It was swinging for direct-to-DVD release. <laughs> it's what it was swinging for. And in those terms, it's better than a lot of them. Oh, sure, but, yeah. But I can't say this is one that you should go out of your way to go grab either. No, no. But Sunday afternoon, if you don't want to watch football, hey, why not? Yeah, why would you want to watch football? I don't know, because you're Brian. What's football? Uh, I don't know. It's a thing. Uh, now... Moving overseas, we've got For the Emperor, which is a South Korean uh, action noir film that starts off in a sort of, whoa, what the fuck is this going to be? Yeah, I was I was super excited uh, with that, that opening sequence. Oh, yeah, with a bunch of guys, like badasses, with big butcher knives coming into this tenement and just 
brutally murdering everyone in that tenement incredibly violently. Yeah, you're like, okay, in a you've big, got my attention. In a big action scene. You know, these are not just, like, you know, children and stuff. They're going in there, and they're obviously other gang guys who are staying in that tenement because they put up a good fight, but ultimately lose badly. And it ends with him, the main character we see, uh, Lee Huan, played by Lee Min Ki, accidentally, or maybe not accidentally, stabbing one of his own people. Hmm. So then it flashes back, what's this guy's story? Well, we'll tell you. He was a baseball baller. <laughs> he was. And he could throw a ball. And throw a game. Or, or did he? Well, it looks like, yes, he did. <laughs> uh, he fixed a match, got busted for it when the police basically raided the place, the mob location, where he went to go pick up his money for fixing the match. Like, yeah, you're kind of dead to rights on this one. But after all that's cleaned up, he comes back in and is like, hey, motherfucker, give me my money. And they're like, what are you talking about? The police seized your money. He's like, uh-uh. I, my whole career, I threw it away for this. You give me my fucking money. And he beats the living shit with ease, a whole room full of gangsters. That's what I, I'm, uh, one of the problems I had, because I'm not saying that you can't focus on being like a top-class athlete and and uh, uh, an ass kicker. Yeah. But I just want to know the secrets of his time management, because I just didn't buy <laughs> that, that he was able to do all of that stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of it is, too, the guy is so skinny that he looks like there's no way he would be that much of a bad. Even the film points it out at one point. Yeah. You're like, guys, seriously. And he's got such a pretty face. He is a he is a pretty, but probably a musician, as often they are <laughs> in the Asian film industry. Hey, you're, you've are you sold a bunch of albums. Want to be an action star? Uh, I, I, uh, uh, there's money. Okay. Well, he ends up getting recruited by the very company who he just came in and took the money from, you know, the mobster. Well, up. it was, it was his, uh, his practical interview. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, starts, because he is just so cold and direct and to the point with the way he does things. He quickly gets promoted up to the company. In fact, it, the movie doesn't take long to say three years later. <laughs> <laughs> when he's, you know, kind of a badass here. And then things start to go wrong and I lost track of what the plot was doing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Who's suddenly there's this other guy, this older guy, who's also one of this old, higher level of the gang, but I'm not sure what his relationship is to the other guy. And then there's a third guy who apparently has some sort of vendetta against those two guys who comes in. And I was like, there's a point in the third act. I'm like, there's a lot of blood and people beating each other up and it looks cool, but I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And <laughs> it was it was a stabby punchy, the movie. It was. Like, and, and you know, being like, oh, this is a hard R because there's also, like, this incredibly hot chick who the lead guy is like, nope, you're my you're Oh, yeah, you're the drilling scene. Of, like, multiple, like, let's get every angle humanly possible of them graphically fucking. Yep. <laughs> like, long sex scenes. Well, and his vinegar strokes are the same as his uh, I'm about to inflict bodily pain on somebody face, yeah. which also looks like he's having a mild seizure. He doesn't have much acting range. Mm -mm. True. Nope. Not really the most charismatic. In fact, they pretty much, it looks like they gave him a big tuft of curly hair in the front, <laughs> just so he had something distinctive about him. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> Because, you know, this is like, it's a nice looking film. And oh, the yeah. violence is cool. But the plot is just nonsense. And acting is pretty bottom level. Yeah. It starts off as a really promising film, devolves into something that's a lot like a lot of other films out there. Yeah, because, um, like, like I don't want to invoke uh, Chan Wu Park, but, you know, like, uh, his... Um 
revenge flicks that he yeah. did, they were beautifully violent. Oh, yeah. But and there was so much other good stuff going on with them. There was actual real subtext. There was real, you know, like the plot meant something and had an emotional resonance yeah. with those films. This is like, this is just a, a nonsensical you know, triad film, really. Pretty much, but without the the charm of, like, say, uh, like the Dead or Alive series. Yeah, or, or, or any given Andy Lau movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't say I can recommend Void uh, Emperor, yeah, I unfortunately. It is, even as somebody who really likes Asian, especially Korean uh, fan uh, films, not so much. Yeah, if you, if you want to watch one, uh, shit, just watch Vampire Cop Ricky instead. I don't think I've seen that. Oh, it's 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 tonally it's just not the same. It's it's a comedy with a vampire cop I, named I, Ricky. I, is that is that Chinese? No, it's Korean. That's Korean yeah. too. Okay, I'm thinking back to like uh, 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 Mr. Vampire series. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen those? Mm-hmm. They're so good. In fact, they're that. We reviewed a film not that long ago that was sort of the first new take on Chinese vampires in a really long time, but did it seriously, hmm. but also with a wink and a nod, because at one point they're like, the guy who's the vampire hunter shows a picture of his ancestors, and it's a set photo nice. of Mr. Vampire, uh, you know, were they all hopping vampires? Oh, yeah, yeah, the Guangxi. As that series went along, it ended up into like, you know... Where they're like vampire hunting cops and stuff. It's like, okay, guys, maybe you've pushed this as far as it needs to go. And, and a good uh, uh, Korean, like serious Korean vampire movie is called Thirst. Oh, that is a good one. Yeah, so, ooh. yeah, really good. Uh, anyway, guys, watch those, not this. Yeah, not this. Or neither should you probably watch this re release of an old Kevin Bacon, <laughs> uh, Gary Oldman flick called Criminal Law. Now, I remember when this came out, and I didn't see it, but the trailers looked cool. And, like, I was just starting to, like, go, wow, I like Gary Oldman. I think he yeah. already played Sid Vicious and Sid and Nancy by this point. Yes, he has. I was like, yeah, I really like this guy. And everybody liked Kevin Bacon at this point. He was in Flashdance. So, what, one of the problems with, with the, the, the Blu ray that we got was the cover uh, image. At first, I thought, oh, shit, Gary Oldman's in Footloose, too. Like, <laughs> it's a very fun kind of late 80s looking co- uh, cover that just does not do it justice to what this is. No, this is a very, one of those dark, twisty thrillers with a relationship between a killer and his lawyer who now has realized, shit, I did the wrong thing by, you know, doing my best to set this guy free because he's killing again right. and is making me, like, emotionally complicit in this. Letting it be known that, thanks for freeing me so I can continue to murder woman. <laughs> thanks a lot. Right. And he, he decides that I, I don't care what it does to my career. I'm going to get the evidence to, to catch this guy with Gary Oldman as a, the lawyer and, and uh, Kevin Bacon as the killer. And I think the biggest problem, okay, first off, it's a movie where Gary Oldman is not doing a good job as an actor. No. Uh, I mean, that's uh, how many of those can you say? Right. And uh, it's early on enough in his American movie career that it can be forgiven, but his, his accent is just oh, weird. Slips all over the place. <laughs> Super weird. Yeah. Uh, and the plot is just, it's, it's off-putting how improbable the coalition oh, coalescing yeah. of events is for this film to happen at all. Like the various things that that, that go on, there's stuff that's just plot on Like, why, dude? Ooh, like Kevin yeah. Bacon is actually undercutting himself on purpose 
like doing things like intentionally really revealing to the police that he has a secret passageway, which means he could in fact have committed a certain murder. Why? Or, or like the the way that that Gary Oldman's character gets uh, drawn into this this web of of uh, like meet me at the park at eleven. Like, no, bitch, I got office hours. You can you can meet me then. <laughs> it's awkward, and it's not helped by a scene that's supposed to be like a thing to give Gary Oldman's character more emotional depth, but comes off as like kind of offensive and laughable at the same time. Where Gary Oldman's sleeping with a, a witness to oh, yeah. a, a murder uh, and ends up like a b- almost beating the crap out of her in the middle of this like heated graphic sex scene. Man, it happened. I'm just like, what just happened there? <laughs> that never to be spoken of again through the rest of the movie. Hey, y'all! In the '80s, that's how we fuck. Sometimes when you're fucking. You gotta choke a bitch out. Mm-hmm. No, you don't, Gary Oldman. <laughs> I don't care how stressed you are about your serial killer. I mean, I thought maybe they were going with a sort of like, oh, the reason Kevin Bacon likes him is because he knows there's a yeah, serial the killer same. inside of him. Yeah. But no, that's not what the, that would have been silly too. But that's not what this movie is. Well, it, it it definitely passes the Joe Don test though. Joe Don the, Baker. In that it has Joe Don Baker. It's a bad movie that has Joe Don Baker. Yep. Yeah, it's no Mitchell. Oh, no, but what is? <laughs> Mitchell. Yeah, this is totally a skip. Criminal law, there's a reason why you never heard of it. Uh, now, I won't say the same thing for Street Smart, though, which I really enjoyed the hell out of. This is, well, it's because Superman. Yeah, well, Christopher Reeve playing a very, like, starting off as a very sort of like, oh, American Christopher Reeve type role. This is another Olive Films release, as was the last one, so very bare bones. But this is a 1987 film from uh, Golan Globus, a company not normally known for the highest quality of films. Mm-mm, it was no. actually given really good reviews, but nobody saw it. And why? Well, because a deal was struck uh, for this movie to be made at all to, because Christopher Reeve did not want to do a fourth Superman film. And they said, if you do this, we'll give you the money to make Street Smart, which is a film Christopher Reeve been trying to get off the floor for a while. And he said, great. And Golan Globus, being the scumbags that they were, <laughs> spent absolutely no money on marketing. And of course, it just totally disappeared. Nobody saw it. Which is a shame, because like I said, the critics actually liked it. And Morgan Freeman, who plays a, a street hustler, oh, he was so guy, good at, yeah. was nominated for an Academy Award and a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor, making it really the breakout film of his career. You know? Yeah, uh, you know, at first I was like, you know, as far as pimps go, this guy's not bad. Oh, by the way, Morgan Freeman plays a pimp. Yes. <laughs> In fact, Christopher Reeve plays a magazine reporter, Jonathan Fisher, who is having trouble getting his boss to say yes to any assignments. But when he says, look, I'm going to go in and I'm going to find a real pimp and I'm going to do a total like interview straight up, like get to know who he really is and what's going on. And when no one will talk to him, he says, fuck it, I'm just going to make it up. Yeah, I'll make up a story, which happens sometimes, apparently. Hey, as a reporter, I can either confirm or deny this. (laughs) Uh, But the police and a district attorney who are both trying to catch Morgan Freeman's character, Fast Black, who's a badass pimp on the street, who's also a manslaughterer would be the appropriate term. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, we see him kill a guy that he doesn't mean to kill. An excitable a, boy. The guy has a heart attack after being beat because it clear. It seems clear he was on a bunch of coke or something to begin yeah. with. But uh, they're like, oh, we're sure that this story is actually about him. So you need to, you know, they start stalking him saying like, you know, you need to give us this information. We Meanwhile, uh, Fast Black, who's told by his lawyer, hey, you need to get this guy on your side, uh, come out and say good stuff about you. 
uh, tracks him down and says, hey, man, we need to talk. Uh, and when he starts to realize the story was totally not about anyone, <laughs> has something to hold over Christopher Reeves' head. Reeves starting to form a relationship and a friendship with one of his call girls, uh, Punchy, played by a very young and hot Kathy Baker. Even though Chris Reeves already got a very young and hot Mimi Rogers as a girlfriend. Come on, dude. When is the she, point She was you... so young, she hadn't even learned to act yet. <laughs> I, did she learn to act? Has well, that I, time come? Yeah, you saw Lost in Space. <laughs> uh, this is actually a pretty gripping little drama, I thought. Yeah, uh, it's corny at points. Well, uh, you know, what I loved about it was that 80s portrayal, and it's a bit of a leftover from the 70s, of uh, how journalism works. Yeah. Uh, and this is the opposite of rose tinted glasses, uh, but still mostly wrong. <laughs> Like, right. Especially how it's like, hey, that was a pretty good magazine article you did. You're going to be famous on TV. Two minutes later, famous on TV. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, really, Reeve was kind of insignificant compared to Morgan Freeman in this. Oh, who dominates the screen uh, absolutely. in every scene that he's in, uh, playing the mo- least Morgan Freeman role he has ever played. You know, you're like, okay, so now- he's a... Uh, He's a psychopathic street pimp? I mean, it seems like, especially considering when this came out, the you hear about this movie and you go, I don't want to see that. That sounds like embarrassing that Morgan Freeman ever played that role. Well, right? right, but it's not like he goes, like, yo, mama, what's going You know, he, he doesn't do that stereotypical street pimp shit I mean, that they did for a while. To some extent he is, but well, he's no, also but imbuing he's, it with a sense of reality. He's, yeah, he's not a pimp named Slipback. No, he's a, he's a pimp named Fast Black. <laughs> but he doesn't make you say the whole thing. True. Um, it's the whole thing. Well, uh, because, like, uh, you know, I've, I've read a, a, a shitload of Iceberg Slim, and, you know, a lot of that was based off of what his his life was actually about. Uh, and and uh, I think for a while there, as far as how he reacted to things, like, you know, for a pimp, he's actually a pretty fair guy. And then he just does something, and you're like, oh, okay, never mind, I hate you. Yeah. Well, it's hard <laughs> out there for a pimp. you got to make tough decisions. You really do. You know, and he has to make some tough decisions. And it is kind of one of those, like, you kind of like him at first. You're yeah, like, at first you do. <laughs> yeah, you're like, okay, I know you're a pimp, and you're like, I don't like like you, because you're still an asshole. You scare, you terrify your girls, and people around you obviously have deep anger issues. Yeah. But... You kind of want to almost, you know, get him out of the life or something. You're like, you have redeeming qualities. <laughs> you know, I can fix him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can. Uh, but no, he cannot be fixed. He is a real monster no, yeah, person. Yeah. And it's watching that performance works because you're watching Christopher Reeve get seduced into his world only to discover how bad this person really yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, no, no. How no. bad this whole scenario is. There's nothing sexy about street prostitution what i did like is that uh so antithetical to superman is that reeves character was the ultimate coward yeah like in every step like he could have he could have resolved something just by being brave enough to deal with the circumstances yeah that's true uh, and this is about a billion times better than Superman 4, which was the movie that was made because of this. <laughs> Superman 4 may be... Was that the quest for peace? Yeah, that may be the worst superhero movie ever made in a major studio. I'm not... It's a hard call. There's a lot of bad ones. Yeah. But I think it's worse than there's, Supergirl. There's always Blade 3. Oh, the dude, Blade 3 is much better than Superman 4. 
<laughs> I mean, it's not a good movie, but come on, Superman four. Uh, the the unreleased Captain America or the unreleased okay, Fantastic. Yeah. Four. I don't think you can count unreleased. <laughs> you know, even the Fantastic Four one was never intended to be released. No, neither was the Captain America. Yeah, it was to hold on to rights. But actually, I found them to be not as bad as one would expect. Even though, even though the cast had no idea this was going nowhere, they're still pretty bad. Uh, they're neither one of those is still as bad as as Superman 4 Quest for Peace. Oh, what about uh, the the David Hasselhoff Nick Fury? Okay, that's right up there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, we're not going to go through a laundry list of worst superhero movies because we could do a whole show about that. We're going to continue on to the other Olive Films release, the one that Joe came here to talk about this week, the 1979 Linda Blair roller skating musical, Roller, roller Boogie. boogie. <laughs> this is... Um, all right, so I posted a thing on Facebook saying, uh, I can't believe I'm sitting at home watching Roller Boogie by myself. Uh, what went wrong with my life? And a whole parcel of of girls who are about my age started posting, oh my God, I love that movie. I've seen it so many times. And I was like, what the fuck? And I realized, oh, wait, they're all about my age. And they grew up watching HBO when they only had the rights to, like, eight or nine <laughs> movies. And so you would watch them again and again and again. And Roller Boogie was one of those movies that you watched repeatedly because it, it, was, it, on. Was, on, it was on. And there were only, like, a few other channels. <laughs> All right. Well, in full disclosure, I love going to Roller Discos to this day. Yeah. It's just, it's just good fun. Um, but this movie is basically the prototype of Breakin'. Yes. And I, I think Breakin actually did, uh, in its own way, address some of the the uh, indiscrepancies of this movie. <laughs> uh, uh, and this is from another th- little third-party company like Breakin was Golden Globus. This is uh, Yablin's Compass International Pictures uh, that actually had previously put out Halloween, so made a bunch of money, and then we're like, oh shit, let's yeah, pump high out the a bunch hog. of other stuff. Yeah. Uh, this being one of them that actually did well in theaters, all things considered. It was, even though the whole time you might hear a sound of a ticking in the background, <laughs> that's them trying to finish the movie before anyone stops giving a shit about roller disco. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 well, okay, so... Uh, Instantly, like the, the the opening sequence won me. I was like, I don't care what happens. I'm going to watch this all the way through. Hey guys, the sun's up. It's a beautiful day. Let's roller skate. So yeah, like half of Venice Beach just is on roller skates at any given time. But so what it, about that, that that wins me over is that I love movies that that just completely embrace and try to cash in on whatever the kids love at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, so during the 80s, like, like breaking, you know, it was like break dancing and rap battles. Uh, this, it was trying to go off of the roller disco. You know, the 60s, like, you know, beach blanket bingo and all this, where where it's it's these little nuggets of, of uh, pop culture that you know in 10 years you're going to say, wow, that was amazingly stupid. Right. Yes, and this indeed, you know, the thing about this is, and not, uh, you know, movies like Skate Town USA, you definitely come out of, like, just laughing your way through it. This is so astonishingly stupid, Mm -hmm. and they're so trying, and they had more of a budget than this film did, clearly. They're like, let's spend money on, like, science fiction, gigantic, elaborate roller skating rinks that would never exist and never did. Yeah. (laughs) You know, uh, this has, you know, 
it feels like everyone's about to break out in song at any given point because it has that unreality of a musical right. to it. And luckily they don't. Yeah. They, <laughs> I don't think it would have worked out well. I mean, maybe they're, like, there's the possibility that someone will remake it someday and do that, which I am actually all for. <laughs> I hate you. If it's one of the Whedons. <laughs> Dr. Horrible meets Roller Boogie. No. No? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, well, I hate musicals. <laughs> but, like, the thing is you go... I gotta admit that actually looks like kind of fun. Well, it's because roller skating is fun. It was it was a lot of fun back then. I was I was around then and roller skating then, and it was awesome. Well, I, I mean, one of the things that that is admirable about uh, uh, the the roller skating craze is there's actually a fair amount of skill that you need to partake in this. Oh, it's not easy. No, not at all. And it's and the stakes are pretty high. Yeah. Like, you could brain yourself to death. Oh, dude, there was a guy in my roller skating rink, uh, local roller skating rink when I was a kid. They used to do night skating. They would turn off all the lights. Mm-hmm. And he fell down right in front of somebody going really fast. And the person right behind, like, just instinct, just jumped and landed right on his skull. Killed him instantly. Just brain splatter everywhere. Fatality. <laughs> exactly. Roller <laughs> fatality. <laughs> uh so, yeah, that kind of shit did happen, but come on, we're not talking about it. It's not as dangerous as skateboarding or something like that. But still. No, no, you can still mess yourself but, up. But though. either way, this is the light and happy, you know, ridiculous, like, this is a dumb movie that has a lot of nostalgic charm. Yes. Um, Linda Blair from The Exorcist is playing a little rich girl whose parents want her to, you know, date the local rich boy who's a total total sleazoid jerk yeah the chad chaddington uh, and want her to just go right off to juilliard to study being a flautist yes we felt that if she went to juilliard new york might grow her up a little bit but that's not what she wants to do no man she's gotta skate she's gotta skate it's in her blood man because she skated for two weeks and she realizes she has to win the roller boogie yeah it even tells her parents i don't want to go to juilliard i want to be a roller boogie champion and watching this, you cringe. You're like, no, go to Juilliard. <laughs> and, and to be fair, they're, they're not going to put up with that shit. It's like, you won't be, a goodwill won't take that Roller Boogie Championship award if you win it like three weeks after the date this movie ends. Yeah, luckily uh, Charles Nelson Riley is like, all right, you can do this, but then you're definitely going to Juilliard. Well, Charles Nelson Riley? It wasn't him, but like oh, he, would okay. wear the, he would wear the, the ascots with the glasses. I think I, he was from a TV show, and I couldn't quite place him i was like wait where do i know him from but anyway uh yeah it's just it it is and it turns into a let's save the rec center movie as well because it's like Mm -hmm. her hooking up with like a young like not hot at all skinny little guy who's probably played the nerd who got beat up in frat college party movies i'm pretty sure that he was a, a a figure skater yeah, maybe so. But he was very good Cause, at, cause, at cause skating. They they build him as introducing. Okay. Well, there's actually from what I read, most of the people in here were professional roller skaters. Back <laughs> right. when that was back when that was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they are the skating is actually good in this, if mm, a bit mm-hmm. like unchoreographed, right? And just let's just shoot these people being good. Um, but she hooks up with him to like so he can teach her how to be better, so she can win the roller boogie contest. And then, of course, evil corporate types are trying to shut down the roller rink. Man, they're going to make like a mall or something. I just know it. Everybody's got to team up together to try and figure out how to save the roller rink so they can have the roller boogie contest. 
Okay, whatever. It's it's a like I said. Have I mentioned it's a dumb movie? It is, but there's it is dripping with that nostalgic charm. It's weird to see this very young Linda Blair so close to The Exorcist. Really, this yeah. could have been more than like two years or something after she filmed The Exorcist. Yeah, playing like the hottest girl on the boardwalk. Right, which isn't true, but you know she's got yeah. some decent cans that you never really see, but right. you get the idea. Yeah, well, the movie tells you it's true, and that's what's important. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm keeping this for my nostalgia collection alongside my copies of Skate Town USA, Saturday Night Fever, Thank God It's Friday, The Apple, Xanadu, Can't Stop the Music, what have you. Those movies that, you know, you put on when you're having a party in the background. Yeah, no, uh, I'm definitely going to look for this in, like, the the 99-cent bin. Yeah, and it'll probably show up in it because there's a very limited niche of people (laughs) that have interest in seeing this. But for those, if this sounds like something you'd enjoy, you're going to enjoy it. Yeah. If if you think that uh, Youth Center could be saved by uh, aggressive skiing, then <laughs> then you'll love this movie. Well, let's go to a more serious note and talk about Timbuktu. Oh yeah, that's that's a pretty easy segue. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was running out of segues there. This was a uh, comp- was in competition for the Palme d'Or uh, at the 2014 Cannes Film Festival, and it, where it won the Ecumenical Jury Prize, Prize and the Francois Chalais, Chalais Prize, and it was nominated as the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film at the 87th uh, Academy Awards. It's a French Mauritanian drama that is a look at the occupation of that was very brief but the occupation of Timbuktu Mali by a hyper basically al, an al-Qaeda type group called the Ansardine uh, and it's following uh, uh, various people who live there some of which are very sympathetic to this group of uh, Islamists that are bringing their form of hyper-fundamentalism, forcing it on the local people who are just not used to this sort of thing in their town. But most of the people here are like, you know... These guys is dicks. Passively resistant to to it. Like, I really don't want anything to do with this. And the main plot follows a a family that lives outside the city. A herder lives outside the city when one of his cows accidentally hurts, uh, damages a fisherman's net. The fisherman just shoots the fucking cow. uh, And he... His kid comes running back, who his adopted kid is like, I was watching the cows, one of them got killed by the fisherman. He comes out there to talk to the guy. The guy goes into a rage immediately and starts attacking him and gets accidentally shot. So he gets put on, basically put away, and like questions starts being asked about Sharia law and what have you. Uh, and you sort of go through the population and see the way they're reacting to this, see the way other things are happening and what what's, you know how how this is changing their culture and how they're slowly becoming more angry about it. I actually really liked this film. Oh, uh, yeah. All those awards and, and nominations. Like, I'm not one for an argument from authority, but... Yeah. All of those uh, praises that that were placed on it were definitely deserved. Oh, yeah. This is a beautiful-looking film. It's... You know, one could say it's paced slowly, but it doesn't waste any time either. No. There's not much fat that needs to be trimmed from this. All these stories and these characters are really interesting, and you enjoy spending time with them, and you want to know what's going to happen. Um, there's a lot of just, just showing the contradictions that go on daily in the lives of these people, especially the... the, the, the uh, the, the occupiers themselves yeah, the breaking the law, their own laws constantly, you know, smoking cigarettes and what have you, but uh, they don't care. They're really there because 
It's fun to be an authority. Oh, shit, yeah. Yeah, because when, when you get to be Big Papa, anything goes. Anything goes. And, yeah, and we get to see some pretty disturbing stuff go, in fact. Yeah, yeah. Including some really awful, like, like I think one of the most shocking scenes is where a couple's buried up to their necks in sand and mm-hmm. then stoned to death. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll keep living in America, thank well, you. Well, I much. mean, once again, uh, a depiction of violence where you're like, wow, humans are assholes. But... <laughs> One of the most beautiful scenes in this film that I just honestly made me tear up a little bit was, like, sports are... You're not allowed to play sports under this law. And this group of teenagers keep playing with no ball. Yeah, They just pretend there's a ball. And it's just this gorgeous sequence of, like, about the human spirit. And I I just like, wow, this is a really good movie. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, this is is definitely in the try-to-watch-this kind of... Category. Yeah, if you like these type of films, this is one not to miss. And even if you don't generally like one of these types this of films... This is one of the better ones. Yeah, just like try it. Maybe you learn something. Yeah. Incredibly well-made movie. Definitely worth going out of your way for. All right. Uh, next up, scrolling through my list, is one I can't recommend going out of your way for. I should have put this one after Street Smart, because it's another yep. Morgan Freeman film called yeah. Five Flights Up. That's also about the dirtier side of a city. Yeah, I was, I was, I was hoping that uh, in in my head that the two were actually connected. And what happened was that uh, after uh, Morgan Freeman's character in Street Smart got dealt with, yeah, he he, uh, he actually makes it through and has a coming to Jesus, and then and then decides and then to marry Tyson. Yeah, this is a movie for old people who think kids are young people are horrible. Oh yeah, one thing I learned by watching this is that everybody in New York City is an asshole. Is an asshole. <laughs> yeah, like everyone is. An, there's like okay, so there's that one lady and her kid who aren't assholes but they're a little weird. Yeah. But other than that, they're like, "Man, we're old and everybody else sucks." <laughs> yeah. I would watch this like, "Are you seriously is this seriously the plot of this movie about an old couple that gets talked into selling their apartment they lived in for 40 years and are are dealing with people coming in and looking in their apartment that are horrible and then they're dealing with going to look at apartments owned by people that are horrible. That are, that are just, yeah. And, and there's really, and the whole thing is the most, did I even say the name of this? I'm sorry. Oh, five, five Flights, flights up. up. Sorry about that, guys. The whole thing is the most pointless plot I may have ever seen. Well, okay, so, you know, uh, recently I, I, I did that write-up for uh, I'll See You in My Dreams with Blythe Danner, and that's about, old, you know, old people, uh, and there was there was a lot that was very evident that they were trying to address. This, I had no clue what they were trying to say with this. No, like, except what we already said. Right. Boy, aren't young people awful? Pretty much. <laughs> this is really for the cranky. This is a movie designed to play at retirement homes. Yep. <laughs> well, it's like, well, but it's bad because, you know, they, the, the whole idea of them, they want to get out of their apartment for what reason? I don't really it's, know. It's, the only thing established at all is that the, the, uh, uh, their like niece played by uh, Cynthia Nixon. Yeah. Cynthia Nixon is a real estate agent and there's some insinuation that she's kind of been pressuring them. And also that, Hey, Morgan Freeman's getting pretty old and there's no elevator in this building. And even though he has no problem, Eventually, he might have a problem. Right. So maybe they should start looking for something else. And you're like, Diane Keaton's more into the quest than Morgan Freeman is, who wants nothing to do with it. Yeah, this. and with her, it seems just more like a hobby. Yeah, she's really irritating 
Is it, was it just me or was she like this busybody who was like emotionally flies off the handle at any given yeah. perceived, possible perceived slight? Well, and and so I think they wanted us to think, oh, man, their interaction is so charming together. And it really wasn't. Most of the time it was just that inane chatter that old couples have, which, OK, you, you got that on point. But it's a movie, and we don't have to hear that. I felt like I was watching the most boring reality show ever conceived. Let's yeah. follow an old couple around, because there's no... Nothing is happening in this movie except just following them around, nattering at each other. Yeah, and I don't think they intended this to, to, to be a subplot of the movie, but... Uh, in the process, Morgan Freeman's just looking at all the apartment stuff, and he keeps having flashbacks to earlier times. And really, I think it's early onset dementia. Yeah. <laughs> like, because it happens so easily to him. I'm going to make the argument this movie can induce early onset dementia. Because I really didn't know what was happening. No, like there's a subplot with their dog, and he's kind of sick. Which, and- once again, serves no purpose uh-uh, in anything. Because nothing happens. There's no repercussions. It's, it's there, so the movie has something to have happening. Yep. And no other reason. <laughs> this is one of the most boring bullshit movies just from the point of conception that I've yeah. seen in a long time. Uh, you, you've got two great actors like Diane Keaton and Morgan Freeman who are doing their best with a, just a script that almost zero effort was put into. Oh, yeah. You oh, know, yeah. Uh, I, there's no other reason to watch it except... Oh, gosh, I sure do love those two actors. Or, and young people, I agree, are horrible. Or or just so that you can hear Morgan Freeman say, hipsters. To, uh, yeah. <laughs> and the young people are horrible to a point that's laughable here. Yeah, know? even at the end, like, Cynthia Nixon goes, like, full asshole mode at the yeah. end. Yeah, so. I was like, yeah, people can be assholes, but this movie really is being a little unrelenting and, like... Like, the writer had an axe to grind about it. Oh, yeah. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I gotta say, do everything you can to skip Five Flights Up. Don't even let your parents or grandparents watch Mm-mm, it. No. They're gonna come out, like, looking at you askance, and you don't need that. You got enough <laughs> shit with that, them to begin with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Thanksgiving's gonna be weird enough as it is. <laughs> I think a much better film about old people is Woman in Gold, which is a film that had mixed reviews, and... I I found that I particularly really liked this movie, and partially because it's just got such a great true story to build upon. Now, it's not the best movie in and of itself, but the story that that actually happened is so interesting, it's hard not to get involved in it. And you have just such a great fireplug of a performance in this uh, by Helen Mirren in the lead role. Which is not surprising. Yeah, she... uh, plays a woman named Maria Altman and there's a lot of it flashes back and forth between the arrival of Nazi forces in Vienna Austria and her family there the Jewish community and how all their property was stolen from them including quite a few extremely valuable paintings and then modern day in Los Angeles uh, where her sister has died and she discovers letters saying that um, like I have some, we know what happened to those paintings. That in fact they're hanging. One of the most famous paintings in the world, uh, a woman in gold, is now hanging in this Austrian museum. And the point of fact, they have no right to it. 
Right. They were stolen by the Nazis. They belong to our family. So she uh, gets the help of the one lawyer who listened to her, played by Ryan Reynolds, who has a family connection to her. Yeah, he's, he's browbeaten into it, basically. Basically. Only to get really interested in it when he discovers, you know, this museum, of course, doesn't want to part with this painting or make any attempt to agree, yeah, we probably should have looked into, you know, who this originally belonged to, and not to mention multiple other pieces of art that we have in our collection that they were seized after the war by the Nazis. Clearly, there was a sort of, like, we don't want to look into it. Right. And, you know, you get really infuriated watching this movie. (laughs) Look, Nazis showed up, the paintings showed up, the Nazis left, the paintings stayed. I don't see what your point is. I I, I found that I was really enjoying this. I actually looked it up after saying that most of this is true. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not a lot of getting off book as to what actually happened here. Uh, in this quest for you know this remaining member of a family to try and regain their her legacy. I mean, this painting, it's not just some painting their family bought. It was a painting of, I think, her mother or her, her sister. Aunt. Her aunt. You know, she watched this being painted. Yeah, her, her, <laughs> you know, her aunt. Her Adele. beloved aunt. Uh, one one problem that I had is is uh, not really with the film, just just like uh, uh, you know, bec- because there's the whole Holocaust thing that's already in place, like. It, it, it would be weird territory to talk about it, but their family was fuck off rich. Oh yeah, <laughs> like like saying, "Hey, Clint, come here and make five paintings for us," or right. or like the necklace that she wore in the painting that was worth more than any of us will ever see. Yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> it was just like so much wealth. But they came to the the girls came to America with nothing. Right, right, right. No, no, I'm dirt I'm, poor. Uh, no, I'm just saying, like, like in that circumstance, it was disgusting how rich they were. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not disgusting enough that the the Nazis should have come in. No, Chris, I'm not, I'm not. You Nazi. <laughs> I'm Nazi. I'm not saying that it's it's worth a genocide. I'm just saying, <laughs> holy Christ, that's a. L- I wouldn't even know what to do with that no, much no, money. That's very true. Uh, it was a beautiful house, and oh, yeah. I would love to have paid Klimt to come in and paint my, me, and maybe not me, but no, 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 he's painting you. No, not. He's, He's coming over next week. Actually, no, nobody wants that. I've I've been uh, studying up on his techniques so that I can do a portrait <laughs> oh, of you. Oh, the the forger. Yeah, no, no, of you. Oh. Uh, it, it'll be uh, uh, one of us in Cheetos, though. <laughs> I don't know. I I actually really enjoyed this. Daniel Bruhl uh, has a nice little role in this as well. Who will be mm-hmm. appearing in the Marvel Universe shortly as a bad guy in Captain America Three, I believe. Katie Holmes is in this. Max Irons, Charles Dance, Elizabeth McGovern, Jonathan Price. I mean, it's got a Francis Fisher. It's it's got a nice cast. It's very maturely made. It's funny where it needs to be funny. It's touching where it needs to be touching. And yes, it is manipulative. There's no question oh, yeah. about that. But. I didn't feel like it was manipulative in a way it shouldn't have been, considering what it's actually about. Mm-hmm. And I admit, I've always got a weakness for being pissed off at authority trying to take advantage of people. Movies, you know. Well, uh, it it didn't really show. I, I think one of its not failings, but just kind of. Um, they kind of show why she's so freaked out to just go back to Austria. Uh, and it's, I'm not saying like, well, you know, if, if like, like with the, the the Mad Max Fury Road fervor of like, oh, well, we didn't see those girls get raped, you know, <laughs> like I'm not saying that, but it was just uh, they could have stressed that a little bit more to get that through why she was just being so amazingly obstinate. Yeah, that that's that's my only real thing. Fair enough. 
All right, next up is what was actually my second favorite movie of, of the batch that we had this time, the great documentary Deli Man, about the rise and fall of the Jewish deli, uh, specifically in New York City, although there is a look around the rest of the country mm-hmm. as well. Uh, and it, it's... I had no idea that, you know, that New York City had gone from thousands of delis to, like, not even, like, barely 150. Yeah. Or not, I'm sorry, not even 150. That's barely 150 in the United States. There's, like, four or five in New York. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and it actually follows a lot the, the Kenny and Ziggy's, which is actually in Houston, mm-hmm. <laughs> strangely enough, and the owner of himself, David Gruber, who is... Uh, a lovable fat man. <laughs> well, you, you're starting off with the the winning combination of deli and deli. Yes, <laughs> you, know, you had me at deli exactly, and you said it again, and then I was like, I'm in love mm-hmm. with deli. <laughs> uh, I love a good deli. I actually grew up with an amazing deli right near me. Would go there all the time. Have incredibly. It wasn't a you know a, a kosher deli, a true Jewish deli, but it was a, like it was Italian immigrants, mm-hmm. and they were. It was just exceptional. It was the best sandwiches for like 50 miles, and right. you're like, okay, this is worth going way out of your way to eat here. That whole experience, and you'd always. See the same people in there, or they were at the same times. It was part of their life. And this is taking that, examining that culture and that world and where it came from and how it all got started and why it was such an important part in the lives of so many people, especially in, in the context of this film, which is, is, is definitely niching on the Jewish uh, community there. How, like, you know, famous Jewish comedians who were like, they were just there all the time and considered this is, this is their restaurant. Man, I love that Shecky Green was such an asshole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It would never pay for anything. And, thought two jokes was worth the sandwich. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, Ziggy, as it were, uh, you know, the, David Gruber, is such a likable primary subject. And they even give him an arc within the movie as, like, you see his whole family going, like, we love him. He's so great. He's so talented. He's really brought Deli, this Deli thing, to a whole new level. We just wish he'd find a nice girl. <laughs> and the movie's, like, its subplot is him finding a nice girl. And, and nice that's kind Jewish of girl. that's kind of cool. They got that. No, she well, she wasn't. She converted. No, no, I know. Yeah, <laughs> she converted for him. Aww. Well, if it means getting to eat at the deli for free, Dude, I would have married him for yeah. that deli for free. Uh, this is a food porn movie, though. First and foremost, about watching all this amazing food be made and talking about amazing food and talking about food dishes I've never had or even heard of and now really want to try. <laughs> well, yeah, and uh, you know, I have occasion to go to Houston every once in a while, and I'm definitely going to look this place up oh, next yeah. time. Next time I'm there, I'm. This is the first place I'm going. Oh, oh we should have a one of us road trip, kind of right? like, like Britney Spears, Deli Men. Yes. It's the sequel. We'll film it. <laughs> New Delhi. Wait, no, that's something different. No, that's, yeah, that's a very different. Yeah, thing. Although yeah. I'll go there for the food, too. Different type, kind I, of food. I won't because of onions. No onions? Oh, I'm allergic to onions. Oh, you poor bastard. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of all Indian Christ. food is. Anyway, back to delis. Yeah, there's a there's so much good stuff in here. I love that, like, the the main character is so, not character, but the main purpose guy, <laughs> is so into this and the culture that he collects menus from bygone delis. Like, mm-hmm. he's got this whole scrapbook full of, like, old deli menus, and it really goes into, like, how sad it is that this culture that was so important for so many reasons to, you know, multiple different cultures has really been phased out and is still getting phased out. Like, it, during the length of this movie, one of the last remaining major Jewish delis in New York gets closed down. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, uh, and they kind of talked about the the Jewish diaspora, and and just as a personal shout out, when they when they talked about how you know the Jews have been in Texas for quite a while, uh, like the Sephardic Jews is like, hey, them's my peeps, yay! <laughs> and there's actually a lot of uh, little extra features here, including a lot more interviews with people like Larry King and Jerry Stiller and Alan Dershowitz, who are interviewing the movie, but like longer stories from them, and their stories are all great and really fun. Yeah, yeah, you just listen thing. to Jerry Stiller. I mean, uh, it's it fine. It's basically a little little extra bits here and there that were cut out. Like this is basically deleted sequences that if you want more of the same, here's more of the same. So Yeah, end yeah. pieces. Really recommend the this Deli Man, so worth seeking out, really good. Uh, we're gonna move on to now the next to last movie that we're reviewing today and my pick of the week. Slow Okay, I'm out. Oh, wait, I okay, can't do it. Sorry. <laughs> so much for the good plans that we had there. Yeah, because everyone would love to hear that. Yeah, because it would have been like a double album, basically. <laughs> we are doing reviewing the movie Slow West, a movie I can't believe didn't get a bigger release. Uh, written and directed by John McClane, not Die McClane. Hard Guy, but uh, actually one of the members of the Beta Band. You remember the guy that band that song in High Fidelity when they're playing it? The, when he's like, "Hey, check it out," John Cusack's like, "I'm going to play this song." And within like five minutes, like three people are going to come up and ask me, hey, who is this? It's that song. Huh. <laughs> but uh, Slow West is a Western that even people who don't much care for Westerns, I think, would really get into. Uh, this actually at Sundance this year, it won the the World Cinema Jury Prize. Uh, it was a dramatic winner for that. And it's a fun little movie with a lot of dark and serious stuff as well, mind you, but where uh, Jay Cavendish, played by Cody Smith McPhee, the new Nightcrawler, for the record. Okay, you know what? That works, because he looks like... I thought he looked kind of impish. He already looks like a mutant. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that made me happy. (laughs) But he's a Scottish highborn boy in 1870, and he has traveled to the United States to look for uh, his woman who went away, Rose Ross, played by Karen Pistorius, uh... Her family was forced out after there was an altercation with his family. He was kind of from a rich family. Uh, she was from a poor, like, farmer family. He wanted to, you know, something to get between them, but that sort of thing just wasn't heard of in those days. And when a brief scuffle resulted in the death of one of his family members, their family was forced to flee and came Lord to Cavendish. America. So he's like, no, fuck that. I'll give up everything to be with her. Uh, and you know he's just gotten there and already he's pretty much in trouble where he runs into a bunch of uh former soldiers who are trying to kill an indian uh, sorry native american no that's what they call them and, it's okay uh, in the right context his bacon gets saved by a bounty hunter silas Selleck, played by michael fassbender shows up kills all soldiers and is like hey boy you're not going to survive out here much longer i can't believe you've been alive this long tell you what you pay me this much money and i will get you to where you need to go okay now it's freaking me out that magneto was talking to nightcrawler and he didn't even know it yeah right <sighs> okay weird different level uh and, and as the movie goes on, it's it it has a almost kind of Coen Brothers ish type feel. Yeah, like a, of a series like of odd encounters yeah. uh, that aren't so quirky as to feel, you know, out of time or annoying. Yeah, or, they or annoying. annoying. But little interesting set piece encounters that they have with people, uh, and that all establish. And this is why they work. A level of growth 
to both characters and a level of audience understanding that the scenario as dictated of what was going on with with Jay and and Rose is not exactly how it's, it was initially described. Well, yeah, like uh, I th- I thought it was beautiful. Like she never really seemed into him. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and once it's very apparent, it's like, yes. And as well that Michael Fassbender's character uh Silas, even though it's pretty clear early on, he's got some he's got to have some kind of nefarious motives then maybe as it's going on he's becoming less sure about these motives oh i would argue that he was a monster at the beginning yeah but we <laughs> but we also know from the beginning that he changes because he's of gives a voiceover in the beginning saying basically i i, lo- I love this kid yeah you know uh, and you're like okay what happened to change you <laughs> and you buy it as this movie goes on it 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 really hasn't these two have a really fascinating voyage and it's such a bittersweet, sad ending. Oh no, it's a fantastic ending. I mean, it's great. No, that's well, no, a- no, no. Yeah, in that it is sad. Uh, there's there's a little bit of, of cheesiness uh, near the end that I didn't even mind. I thought it was cute. Yeah, uh, because it completely broke with tone. Yeah, it's um, it loves the genre while not indulging in cliches of it. Mm-hmm. I thought it loves its characters while still letting them explore their arcs warts and all. Yeah. You know? Uh, And it actually has a lot to say about humans while never feeling preachy. Yeah, yeah. I didn't feel any fingers being wagged at me. No. Uh, And and it also just entertains all the way through. The thing is so goddamn entertaining. It's funny at points. It's really shocking at points. (laughs) You know, uh, I really, I have to recommend the shit out of this movie. Yeah, I would too. Uh, Slow West is our pick of the week. Is it your pick of the week? No, Roller Boogie. Uh, seriously? I love it! Oh, for God's sakes. <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that. All right, so Roller Boogie is Joe's pick of the week. Slow West is Chris's pick of the week. Hey, come see, come saw. <laughs> Uh, so that brings us to the final part of the show that you know you always look forward to. That part we call giveaway. Yeah, you get this. You get this. You get this. Everybody. No, actually, just one person gets this. Just one person gets this. Sorry, because we only have one copy of this. But we are talking about the movie Kill Me Three Times, a 2014 American-Australian black comedy thriller directed by Crib Stenders. Uh, this is... a a twisty little noir film set in a tiny town in Western Australia where Simon Pegg plays a, you know, basically a, a private dick and an assassin. You know, a guy who'll do whatever for yeah, money. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's more like a A guy who's guy. really good at what he does. Um, he's been do- clearly doing it for a while, who has been hired to kill uh, Alice Taylor, played by Alice Bragger, by her husband, uh, played by Callan Mulvey, when basically he realizes that she's cheating on him with uh, the uh, Hemsworth, yeah, with the the less the third much lesser seen Hemsworth, <laughs> yeah. the the least good looking of the brothers, yeah, the Luke. stuck in Australia Hemsworth, <laughs> yeah, the one who can't get out of Australia, can't get my visa. That's because you're not as good as, or as good looking as your brothers yeah. are. And sorry, but, buddy, you know you're not even as good as uh, what's his name is Liam and Jesus Christ, dude. yeah. <laughs> Come on, you got to be at least as good as Liam to get a visa because uh, he's not good. Uh, <laughs> anyway, she's having an affair with him, even though you would too if you were her, because her husband's a total douchebag. Uh, and we're also we're seeing these things uh, taken out of order, like a linear, uh, you know, unliterally 
shown as we see sort of each story repeating and then from a different angle as as all these different things are going on. Brian Brown plays a corrupt cop that's trying to get money from basically anybody. <laughs> uh, Teresa Palmer is one of the main characters here as uh, Lucy Webb, married to uh, Nathan Webb, played by Sullivan Stapleton, who is a dental surgeon who owes a lot of money and has planned a body-switching scheme to get insurance money. It's kind of... It's not as complicated as it seems, this movie. No, it's... No, it's actually, pretty, it's, it's, it's quite straightforward. It's pretty straightforward, you know, because for one thing, you see the same sequences over several times. Yeah. And, you know, just from different perspectives. Honestly, the most entertaining thing about this film is with the Simon Pegg sequences, who is watching all of this kind of from the outside, you know, as he's hired to go in and kill this woman, only to watch these other people try to kill her and going like, what the... And be so incompetent about it as he's going, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, it's like I'm getting free money. (laughs) Yeah. And those sequences are genuinely pretty funny to watch just his reactions. There's a criticism is that there's a... This is seems like it was written as a twisty little noir film that somebody said, hey, we just got Simon Pegg. Fuck, we better try and turn it into a comedy. Yeah, that that, that part made it suffer because I really would like to have seen him just be like Ghostface Killer. Yeah, no, like a more serious version of this film or a just over-the-top wacky version of this film would have worked. This wants to have it both ways because yeah. the other actors were never told, really. It seems like that this is a, a comedy, maybe a little bit Teresa Palmer and Sullivan Stapleton, where she's like the, you know, the hot trophy like uh, wife who is just awful and constantly nagging at him. You- and and he's like, oh, I don't know. And apparently, she can only nag. That's that's her only that's, mode. That's her, with everybody. Her skill is nagging. Yeah, Brian Brown definitely didn't get the memo. No, no, no. <laughs> he thought they were in a super dark, like gothic noir. Which that part I enjoyed because it was so dissonant with everything else. Yeah. <laughs> I just this is a film that almost works, and it is really worth seeing for Simon Pegg's part in it, uh, who I think is you know. It's not always wonderful and stuff. In fact, some of his non-Edgar Wright comedies are downright terrible. Yeah. But this is not a terrible movie at all. It's just not quite... It should have had another pass to reconceive of the tone for it, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it, it could have uh, taken a little uh, alignment. But you Simon Pegg fans out there, and you know that you know you're out there. I know there's a lot of you are definitely going to want to see this. Kill me three times. And here's what you have to do to win a copy. Joe. Uh, best fake roller disco song name. Okay, so you're gonna uh, go to Twitter and make sure you have you know liked us at one of us net, and then you're going to with hashtag uh, kill me three kill me in the number three. You're going to write as you said the best fake name for for what did you say for for a roller disco song for a real roller disco song and when we're going to pick a winner and we'll send you the Blu-ray of Kill Me Three Times. Aren't you lucky? And then we will produce that song and you'll have to listen to Wait, it. Wait, no, that's not going to happen. But you said we could. I I did not say that. I'm pretty sure you did. You just woke up from a nap again. I may have wanted that to happen, so that's just as good as you're saying. <laughs> I'm not sure that it is, but, uh, you know, we'll, knowing you, you'll have forgotten about this in an hour, and we'll be playing with some toy on the floor with Oh, look at Kitty. See? There you go. Shiny. Anyway, thanks for joining us on Digital Noise. We'll be back again next week with more titles, more giveaways, and more fun. Uh, 
please click on those Amazon links. Can't tell you how much that helps to buy any of these titles that you're interested in or anything else. In fact, uh, thanks for joining me, Joe. Absolutely. Uh, no releases too big, no releases too small, from Criterion to Catastrophe. We review them all. 